Hey, welcome friends. Uh, my name is uh, Doug Ressler and I um, have the privilege of hosting what we hope is the first of seven monthly workshops between now and next summer's General Assembly. We'll skip December, but November, January, February, March, April, May. Uh, they will be um, same time, same date uh, every month, um, two hour time slot on the fourth Wednesday. And uh, I believe if you register all of those dates uh, set up in your schedule. Gonna ask everybody to mute their microphones if they can um, as we get rolling. And that way um, we're, not, we're not getting the background noise. And uh, just to, again, a delight to have you. We're here to focus on church revitalization. And we were gonna do this as a workshop at General Assembly this summer before obviously COVID and everything changed. And so Jerry, I am Marie and the General Assembly team asked us to put this online. And so what we're gonna be doing over the next seven months is really attacking for you guys, what we were going to do in a single day um, at General Assembly. And God has really brought together a great team. Um, Mike Wright, Bryn McPhail, John Mabry, myself, all four of us um, have really just had the blessing of serving churches that have revitalized. And we come from wildly different uh, backgrounds and we're in different parts of the country, even out of the country. Bryn's from the Bahamas. Um, we are in different communities. Our churches all look different, different sizes, shapes, the whole thing. And yet, as we came together and talked about church revitalization, our heart for it, um, we realized there were some common threads that uh, we were all pulling on. And so that's really what we're gathering to share with you guys again over these next several months. Um, roughly, they group around three main categories, uh, the revitalization of the pastor, the revitalization of the session, and the revitalization of the congregation. And we'll be unpacking those again in the months ahead. What we want to do today is just give you a chance to hear from each one of the facilitators, hear a little bit of our story. Um, and then we wanna go into breakout sessions. That'll be about 20 minutes in length after each presenter presents and shares, give you a chance to kind of dialogue, share, get to know one another a little bit. There are a lot of you. Um, I wasn't prepared um, for 200 people to show up. So that's awesome. Um, that means that our breakout sessions will be 50 people a piece. Um, hopefully in the future, we'll get some more facilitators to break those down to further smaller groups so everybody gets a chance to share. But for today, there'll be some large groups. Um, and what we want to do, again, is just honor that time as much as we can give as many people a chance to share. We've got some questions just to kind of get the conversation going. Our, again, our, our desire is that hopefully today we can get some relational connection going as we move into the more of the, the, the meat of the, of the workshop in, in future months. And so just glad you're here. Hope this is fruitful for y'all, um, and we're excited uh, just to be part of the journey with you. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and get us started with uh, by asking Bryn McPhail um, to share a little bit of his story, and then, like I said, afterwards, we will move right into a breakout session where you'll get a chance to dialogue with each one of us, um, and we'll tackle it from there. So Bryn, why don't you get us kicked off? Great. And before I introduce myself uh, any further, uh, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord's blessing on our time Amen. here. Let's Amen. pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of serving your people, shepherding on behalf of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and to be entrusted uh, with those who belong to, to you. And I pray that as we go through this afternoon and we discuss revitalization, we might do so in a way that accurately reflects what you have told us about how the church might operate and how your people should order their lives and how we might feed your sheep. Lord, bless this time. Give us clarity of thought. Give us an ability to evaluate our own ministries in areas where we might tweak or do something entirely different. May your Holy Spirit animate our hearts and our thoughts and our words through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's great to be here. I've, I've never, aside from General Assembly, I've, I've never been on a Zoom meeting, you know, this populated with people. And, and it was interesting, Doug Ressler said that we're a wildly different group. I think that was just his nice way of saying there's a wildly different pastor in our group, uh, because I'm the only one in our committee of four that's not from the US. Uh, I was born and raised in Canada near Toronto, Ontario. Well, born in Niagara Falls, uh, but much of my adult life was in Toronto, Ontario. 
Uh, my first pastorate was in rural Ontario, followed by uh, a larger city church in Toronto, and then God called me to Nassau, Bahamas. Uh, so I'm, I might be one of the few people on this call who has never ministered in the United States. You know, the Lord just had me bypass you all, all together. You know, we just went from Toronto down to Nassau. And uh, the weather's a little bit different, and I feel revitalized by weather alone. Uh, but of course, we want a deeper revitalization. So I want to talk for a bit, and, and I realize that most people on this call are teaching elders. And so in many ways, I might be highlighting things or saying things that you already know, and, and that's great. Uh, but it will also, we'll be able to assess if we have a common vocabulary for talking about revitalization. Revitalization. You may have seen Tom Rayner's stats on revitalization. He's been talking about revitalization in particular for a couple of years, probably since 2018. Uh, it's really been an, a focus for him. And if Rayner's statistics are correct, he says there's about 350,000 churches in North America, of which 85% are in some need of revitalization. So roughly 300,000 churches. And, and so it would make some sense that there would be a lot of us on this call because 85% in need of revitalization would suggest uh, that we have a couple hundred here today. And, and Rainer's got this estimate. And again, these are things that you can debate. I just volley them out as sort of a basis of maybe common knowledge or statistics that we've accessed. He says 100,000 churches will be revitalized through their own internal efforts. So, so one third of the churches that need revitalization will be revitalized. So that's encouraging. And maybe that's part of the reason why you're on this call today and maybe in the months ahead as well, because you wanna be a part of the one third that actually sees revitalization. And then he talks about another third that will be revitalized through replanting. Uh, replanting, and, and we're not going to, well, I'm not going to go into what that entails. That's not my area. Uh, and then the third is, or the, the third third, if you will, is that one third of the congregations in need of revitalization will die out. Um, probably not immediately, you know, some, uh, it will take some time, uh, but their, their trend will continue downward until they're not sustainable. So, is there a need for revitalization? Absolutely. Even if Rayner is, is a bit off on his stats, I don't know if he is or that he is, uh, but if he's even close, uh, we are wise as a denomination to look at this subject. And, and so I, I want to begin by talking about what is revitalization, but just briefly, um, because I'm betting, I'm literally betting that my colleagues who present after me will do a more detailed job. I want to equate vitality with healthiness. So if, you're, if your church is experiencing vitality, spiritual vitality, uh, I equate that with spiritual health. And, and so I would almost want to reframe the question. If the question is, what is vitality in a local church? I want to reframe that. And I want to say, what are the fruits of vitality in the local church? so that I can recognize. We talk about the fruit of the spirit uh, from which we can recognize a spirit-filled Christian. Similarly, I think we can talk about the fruits of congregational vitality and, and how we can discern that in the local church. And, and we, we don't have a long biblical list like we do in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the spirit, but we might say that a church that is healthy or experiencing vitality will be a church without division. Uh, it'll be marked by consensus in decision-making. It'll be marked by the generosity of members. Uh, I even like to talk about the ratio between the membership role and the weekly attendance. For instance, you may have a church membership role of 500 persons, but if you only have 100 in church every week, that's not a good sign. That's a sign that there's a revitalization needed. But if you have a membership role of 50 and you have 100 in attendance, 
you're doing really well. And that's, uh, that could be a very uh, sure sign that revitalization is taking place. Uh, a vitalized church will have uh, new persons coming in regularly, visitors checking it out. So I, I don't want to necessarily talk about revitalization in terms of big church and small church, but it's always relative to where you are. Are you more um, vitalized than you were a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? So my encouragement would be to measure your vitality by your own congregation. Don't, don't look at larger churches and say, oh, I have to be like them to be considered healthy. Uh, measure it according to your congregation's own, own health uh, over the years that you've been there. And obviously, the longer that you're pastoring in a local church, uh, the better you will be able to evaluate you know, whether you're trending towards revitalization or whether you're drifting a bit. So I, I give that just as a very basic framework of how I understand revitalization. But I wanna give some preliminary comments. And, and I guess I'm, when I preach, I'm often thinking about the objections that the person in the pew may or may not have about what I'm saying. And so even though I don't know many of you personally, uh, I want to anticipate some of your thoughts and some of your theology and address that to, to just make sure we're as close to being on the same page as possible. So before I really dig into revitalization with any of you, uh, I would want us to concede what Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, verse 18 where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the great hope we have for vitality, for progress, for revitalization, for maturing, for growth, our great hope in all this is the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ, who says he will build the church and all that opposes the church will not win. And, and so vitality in a sense, is promised. And yet, I think we understand that vitality, maturation, growth, even though we understand that this is ultimately the work of Christ, we understand that we have some things to do in that. We just don't sit back and say, hey, Matthew 16, 18, I'm just going to coast through ministry. Jesus says he'll build, build the church. We understand that God uses secondary means and as Christians within a Reformed perspective, we understand that God uses particular means. We, we talk about the means of grace. So when I'm in 1 Corinthians 3 and Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God caused the growth, we understand as Reformed Christians that the planting and the watering are likely activities related to the means of grace. They're Planting and watering is likely the proclamation of the word, uh, prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and so on. And, and so when we talk about uh, vitality ultimately coming from Christ, we don't detach ourselves from that process. Now, I, I want to su suggest that that is the foundation. So the, the fact that Jesus Christ will build his church that he has given the means of grace, that these form, if you will, the foundation of our building. And by the way, I'm going to mix metaphors a lot. Uh, that it's, so did Paul did, right? So I'm, I'm just trying to be like Paul and mix my metaphors. So from, from a plant, you know, that's planted and watered and grows, we talk about foundations. And so Jesus Christ and, and what he achieved on the cross and through his resurrection uh, his, his promises to build the church. That's the foundation. And, and, and we contribute uh, to, to this building through the means of grace. And then we start to talk about revitalization, but we do so only after agreeing upon that foundation. If you just go to rev revitalization, if you just go to strategy, I think there's going to be problems. Uh, I think of John 15, 5, uh, it's, it's the passage where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then in verse five, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so 
I'm, I'm not just giving a platitude when I say that Christ is the foundation or that he's our starting point or that he's the ultimate cause of growth. I truly believe that without Christ, our revitalization efforts will be in vain. Uh, we, we need him to build the house. Uh, and, and if we build without him, we labor in vain. So here, here are the presumptions or the principles that undergird or underpin everything I'm going to say and probably what my colleagues are going to say as well. But number one, this is Christ's church. And number two, we're going to rely on him ultimately to grow and to revitalize his church. And thirdly, we're going to rely on his Holy Spirit to animate us as we engage in the means of grace and as we engage in particular strategic efforts. Again, I, I want to take a minute because some of my Reformed colleagues are allergic to words like strategy. They just, they think it reeks of seeker sensitivity and seeker driven stuff. And so the word strategic is sometimes thought of as a dirty word. But I hope you won't look at it that way, given the foundational principles that I'm suggesting that we agree on, because I'm pretty sure my colleagues, in addition to myself, are going to be offering some strategic principles. And I think what the one thing that, and I, maybe I shouldn't speak for all four of us, but I think the one thing the four of us presenting have in common is our principles for, for strategic revitalization all were birthed in our failures. So, so I don't think any of the colleagues presenting can say, I entered ministry and it was just success after success, growth after growth. Uh, for me, it was out of abject failure uh, that I learned some of these principles. And, and even, and we talked a little bit about how COVID-19 conditions uh, are challenging us. We didn't want to spend too much time on that today, but it's adversity like that which causes us to have to, to reboot, if you will, those strategic principles uh, that, that, that we're using to encourage vitality. And, and so really, I want to close by giving you a preview of what, what I, I will present in the coming months. Uh, I've been tasked with the layer of revitalization of the session. And again, because if you said, Bryn, what was your greatest failure in ministry, I would say in my early years of ministry, I was terrible in my interaction with my session. Uh, I, I struggled to collaborate with them. I struggled to build consensus. I struggled to inspire them. Uh, there are so many ways. And so when I was called to Nassau, Bahamas, uh, the one thing that I said, I'm, I have to get right is I have to figure out a way to navigate with my fellow elders, that, that this was gonna oh, be the key. Gosh. And it, it turned out that it very much uh, was the key to the revitalization we've experienced. And so I wanna give three principles and I'm not gonna unpack them because Doug's gonna message me in a minute saying, your time's up, Bryn, you know, let someone else talk. Um, but I wanna lay them out as, as a, a teaser or a trailer uh, so that maybe you'll come back in a month. The three principles that I lean on, number one, organizational simplicity, organizational simplicity. That has to do with governance, the structures, the infrastructures of your church, organizational simplicity. Um, if you've read Tom Rainer's book, Simple Church, uh, you can tune me out because most everything I'm going to say about organizational simplicity, I gleaned from that book. The second principle is what I call missional stick to Missional stick to uh, we, we know the proverb, I think it's Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so we pride ourselves on casting a vision, having a mission statement, but the challenge is most of us drift from that. And, and it's not in the forefront of our decision-making. And so I, I wanna talk in future workshops about missional stick and how you can determine when you've drifted from mission. 
because I had some very obvious wake up calls to when I had drifted from mission. And thirdly, and this has maybe been the most important for me in particular, and in the future workshops, we're gonna have to apply these each to our own context and, and according relative to our own personality. But the third principle for me is relational proximity, relational proximity. And this is the one that I've found that I've really needed to lean into during COVID-19 crises because you're no longer seeing your leaders in person as you once did. And so relational proximity uh, has required a lot more intentionality and effort. So um, I, I wanna leave you with those three principles without really unpacking them for you, uh, because I hope they'll pique your interest enough to come back. Organizational simplicity, missional uh, stick-to-itiveness, and thirdly, relational proximity. And again, I, I don't stand before you as an expert, I stand before you as someone who has fallen into a ministry pit and the Lord Jesus pulled me out of that pit and I learned a few things and being pulled out of the pit and I, I'd like to share them with you over the course of a few months. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Doug. Thanks, Glenn. Um, yeah, just to, um, we're going to go into our break, first breakout session and only what I'd like to do is just maybe dive back into what we initially started talking about, which is revitalization. Like we throw that word around a lot. And as Bryn said, it's become like a buzzword. There's a lot of recognition that there's a need of it. If you saw the video Jerry put out, 80% of the churches in the EPC seem to be in need of it or a plateau to declining. And so in our discussion group, let's talk about that. What is revitalization? How do you define it? What do you look for? What are you looking for in your own context? When you, when you talk about, like, when, you, when would you know that your church really is revitalizing? And what would you be looking for? So, Brian, why don't you kick us out to our uh, breakout sessions? We'll do 20 minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll get a chance to hear from John or uh, from Mike Wright. Hey, welcome back from the breakouts. Hopefully that was fruitful. I'm sure you guys got into all kinds of different things. Um, Bryn, thank you for sharing um, and get us started, especially defining revitalization and what that is. So important to get started with the right uh, definition and be on the right same page. You're going to get a chance to hear from Mike right now. And Mike's going to share a little bit of his story and the story of Littleton Christian Church and kind of what revitalization has looked like in their particular context. And I just want you to listen for what resonates with your story and your church context what maybe are similarities, what are differences, those kinds of things. So Mike Wright, why don't you go ahead and get us started? All right, thanks, Doug. I'm uh, um, really just honored and happy to be with you all as I've been scrolling through all of these, uh, all of the little icons of your faces. Uh, many people that I know and love are on this uh, Zoom meeting and uh, many others that I know of and I probably would love. And then, uh, and you know, I'm gonna say that's the rest of you. Um, so a bit of my story, um, I am a, basically a lifelong EPC kid. Uh, the, my earliest church experience, um, well, when I was a little kid, my parents joined a church here in Colorado called Greenwood Community Church. Um, which is one, you know, one of our uh, early uh, EPC churches here in the area. And I grew up there. And uh, eventually that church, Greenwood, helped plant another church called New Community Christian Church. And, uh, and uh, after about a year's gap, uh, I, as a teenager, I went and joined that church. It was just a better fit per personality-wise for me. And in uh, in a lot of ways, you could say I never left. That's where I, that's where I landed. And uh, that church, New Community Christian Church, is the church that, after I graduated from college, it hired me in 2004. And, uh, and I got uh, all sorts of leadership and failure experience. Bryn said, uh, you know, that's the common thing between, uh, between us presenters. Um, in some ways, I kept failing myself into promotions. Uh, for some reason, when one type of ministry wouldn't work out, they would just promote me to a different and bigger role in the church. Um, uh, really briefly, in about uh, 
2007, 2008, our church started experiencing some significant disagreements in, on the leadership level about our philosophy of leadership, even our, our theology of leadership, um, the founding uh, leaders and kind of the core of the leadership group of the church got involved in a charismatic movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, and uh, I won't explain that right now. Those of, some of you might be familiar with that. Others of you are making a note to Google it to find out what sort of heresy I've been involved in, and that's fine. Uh, so, uh, so I was all in on that for a while, and as uh, and at the same time I was in seminary, uh, I started seeing some holes in the uh, philosophy there, and uh, and started asking questions, and our church really started struggling. We, uh, we started uh, shrinking. People were leaving because the movement was making them nervous. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a lot of pressure and guilt and all the rest that was being put on us. At the same time, we were seeing some pretty remarkable um, things happening. We were experiencing uh, supernatural things in our workshops and or in our uh, worship. And, and um, so uh, it was uh, exciting, confusing time. Ultimately, however, uh, I found myself in the strange position of pushing back on the founding pastor and, uh, and our, our session eventually asked the pastor to resign. And, uh, and out of that, I found myself um, as a guy in my mid twenties, holding the ball of a church that had gone from, from you know, 200-ish people down to 30 people. Uh, we weren't sure you know, what to do next. Um, so we didn't think that we were doing anything that dramatic. The dramatic stuff had happened already, uh, but we couldn't afford to stay where we were meeting. So we moved to a different location. We figured we needed a fresh start. So we changed the church name and uh, we basically had total turnover of staff and elders and most of the people. Only years later did I realize Oh, we planted a church. <laughs> we didn't know that that's what was happening. So we it, essentially we we stumbled backwards into planting a church. And truly, it's only by the mercy of God that that community has uh, continued on. So we're called Littleton Christian Church, and um, and uh, so I want to recognize that in this group, I shared this with my breakout team, but um, that in this group we have all kinds of knowledge. Uh, I'm just looking at this group of people, 143 different devices on um, that probably that accounts for tens of thousands of books and and um, and experiences and wisdom and all of that. And so if the four of us are up here to pass on some knowledge uh, that you haven't come across, then then I'm really concerned about that. That's not what we're here to do. Um, on, on the other hand, the, the four of us, what we can do is we can, we can sort of set the tone for sharing our own stories. And, and um, for me, a huge element of vitality, when I, when I go devitalized and then get revitalized, which happens to me all the time, sometimes multiple times a day, if not multiple times a year, um, it is usually intimately connected to vulnerability, inviting the Lord and other people into the story. So for a couple of minutes here, I want to share just one story of vitality, devitality, and revitality, if you will. Um, so I want to take you back to about two years ago. Um, I, had, I was in the midst of, uh, I was the moderator of our presbytery and feeling all proud of myself for that for some reason. Um, in our church, we were experiencing um, probably the 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 biggest, fastest growth that we had been experiencing uh, since I had stepped in as pastor. We had all sorts of people, all sorts of types of people and families joining the church. There was, um, there was sort of a buzz in the community about our church. We, you know, we're, like I said, a mile from the seminary and, you know, the seminary students are talking about our church. You know, there's kind of People are saying, oh, we got to check out Littleton Christian Church. Boy, I felt great about that. That was awesome. I could see the Bart Hess Award sitting on my shelf, you know, already. Um, a couple of our guys have, have that award. So anyway, I don't know if that makes you feel that great, but I was imagining it. 
so things were going great. Right somewhere in there is when Doug actually asked me to be a part of this revitalization team. And at the moment I thought, yeah, I'm totally, I can do that. I've got plenty to share about that. And then uh, 2019 arrived. 20, I'm, 2020 may have been tough for a lot of us, but it's been great for me compared to 2019. That's the reality. Um, so a few things happened. Um, uh, early on in 2019, I, I took my staff on a retreat. We had a small team, a great team, except on that retreat, it became painfully obvious that a couple people really shouldn't be on the team. And that's a church leaders, you know that pit in your stomach moment when you have to deal with that. And when you, you know you're gonna have some hard conversations uh, coming up. And so, um, so that's sort of one stream that started for me there at the beginning of 2019. Uh, one of those folks I uh, ended up um, really letting go in a terrible way and it was, it was destructive to, to that individual and her family. And, uh, and so they all, you know, they cut ties with the church and with me more or less. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a terrible moment of leadership on my part. Um, I'll tell about the next staff member in a minute. Um, right about that same time, uh, I became aware in one day of two marriages in our church, really three marriages that were struggling really badly in more in tougher ways than we had experienced in the 10 years before that with any marriage in our little congregation. Um, one, you know, one situation, two of those couples, the husband of this couple and the wife of this couple had uh, stumbled into an inappropriate relationship. The other one, the, the um, husband came to me and, and told me that he was just really starting to feel concerned about something going on with his wife. And it was um, kind of a strange deal. Uh, and I, I got real involved in that. And uh, just a couple weeks later, uh, in a sort of dark and stormy night, uh, he came to my front door and, and I opened it and my kids and my wife were all there and, and, uh, and he had become convinced that I was having an affair with his wife and uh, that that had been going on for a long time. And it was like a black cloud swooped into my house. Um, in the midst of this time, uh, five different families who were connected to our church. Now we're a small, I'm, we're the smallest church of the four churches leading this workshop. Um, an average Sunday is about a hundred people for us. Uh, at the time, an average Sunday was, you know, uh, near 150 people at the time. Um, but uh, still five different families within a matter of just weeks informed me that for work reasons, they were having to move out of Littleton and, and out of state. And that accounted to um, more than 20 people who were deeply core involved in the life of our church. So we're looking at this happen. Um, another marriage falls apart just weeks later and, and all of those people, you know, both, both the husband and wife and, and their kids all leave the church. Um, and so uh, that goes on and the, the summer starts and my solid stable session um, which had been just a great community for years, one of the elders comes to me and tells me, I've fallen in love with someone who's not my wife and I'm leaving my wife and I'm, I'm gonna move to be with this other uh, woman who lived in Europe. And, uh, and there was no amount of prayer, convincing conviction, yelling anything that we could do to change his mind. Uh, so that happened in June, he informed me. In July, we got our credit card statement and we noticed that one of the cards had been spending out of control. Uh, and the, you know, a card that usually spends like $150 a month had spent $4,000 or something that month. So the owner of that card who happened to be the other staff member that I had sensed wasn't a, a fit uh, says, oh no, no, the, somebody must have stolen it. And, and the, the evidence wasn't lining up. And uh, within, within a month's time, it became very clear that the staff member had been slowly stealing from the church for the last year or so and aggressively stealing from the church um, for the last couple months. And, uh, and so uh, that was a big hit 
to our church. So all of these things piling on one another, our numbers shrinking, our leadership, you know, we're having major sin hit right in our leadership. All of these things are happening all at the same time. I can remember I'm sitting at my desk, which is right behind me, facing that wall. And I'm working on a sermon. We're preaching through Ephesians. And I'm getting ready to preach on the spiritual warfare passage, the armor of God passage, right? And of course, I couldn't connect the dots at the moment. But as I'm sitting there, I've got my Bible in front of me. I've got, you know, my computer open. It was as if someone dumped a bucket of liquid discouragement on me. And it just soaked into me. And I can remember pushing away from my desk, standing up without a second thought and just walking out. And I didn't know if I was coming back. All of those things had piled up so much. I thought, I can't, I can't do this. And so I walked and walked. There's a park just around the corner. I walked loops around that park and I'm shouting to God, basic prayers. God, if I, I need some sign that you are in this because I don't want to do this anymore. This is, I've loved being a pastor for 15 years before that. It's, I've never questioned my calling once in all that time. And suddenly I'm like, enough, get, get me out of this. So give me just something, give me something, God. Well, the next night I, uh, I, I was teaching a weekly Bible study at a, at a, a senior living apartment right across the street from where our church meets. Um, you know, it was lots of non-believers come. It was a really interesting time. This is, this is in mid-September of 2019. And a woman comes and says, uh, she's got a little box wrapped in wrapping paper. And she says, hey, I realize I missed your birthday and I wanted to give you a birthday present. Well, my birthday's in February this is September. Uh, and so uh, I said, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, get, like decide not to correct her about when my birthday is. She's giving me a gift. What am I going to do? So I open it and she gives me this, uh, this mug uh, that's right here. And I don't know if you can read this, but that is the text of Ephesians chapter six. And it's the exact passage I'm getting ready to preach on that week. Uh, ordinarily, that would be um, oh, an interesting coincidence, but because I had so desperately cried out, Lord, show me something, show me something. Uh, that moment was a moment of nothing, no strategy, nothing I was doing, no you know, mission clarity in my session or anything like that. That moment for me was the first of many over the next couple of weeks of saying, God is maintaining, God is preserving, God is in fact pouring out his spirit in the midst of this failure and depression and anxiety and, and no idea what to do next. Uh, and the next week, someone gave, to me, gave me a framed picture of another verse. And it was, un well, actually, this was three or four weeks later, but another verse that was the exact passage I was preaching that Sunday. People start reflecting on ways that God has set them free. Our session start, experiences this clarity about what God's calling us to do in this season. And none of it had anything to do with me starting some great new technique for revitalizing our church. Friends, it was just a moment of total brokenness that he poured his spirit out on. I tried to quit this revitalization workshop team in the midst of that, and Doug wouldn't let me. Um, and so through that, we've, you know, we've been learning a lot of lessons, but I hope that through that story, that'll spark some of your own stories as we break out here. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. And thanks for your vulnerability. So you've heard from Bryn on, on revitalization, kind of some definitions about it. And then hopefully what you heard in Mike's story is kind of what it looks like on the ground. And John's going to share something similar when he shares his story as well. Let's go to our breakout sessions. Talk about what resonated as you listen to Mike's story. Talk about um, maybe some of your own stories as you've gone through this and, and navigated the ups and the downs of the journey. Welcome back, friends. Uh, as you kind of come back in to uh, from your breakout session, hopefully you got a chance to talk 
through again Mike's amazing story of what God is doing in him and his church. And now we're going to turn to John Mabry. And John um, is a pastor down in Monroe, Louisiana, I believe. And he has got just an amazing story himself about how God has been at work in his church. And I hope he'll get, he'll be able in the 10 minutes he has to get all the way through kind of to the end, um, you know, and, and share a little bit about this most recent move is that he's made from senior pastor to associate pastor and how that is kind of a key part of moving forward, moving this church forward into the future. So um, John Mabry, we'll let you share. Okay. Thank you, Doug. And it's great to be with everybody. I think I'm the old man of the group. I'm 63. I've uh, been in full-time ordained uh, Presbyterian ministry for almost 37 years in uh, three different congregations, but there's a little twist to that, to that uh, story. Um, first church was in a very small town of 4,000, a, a kind of a town square church of uh, less than 200. Um, and so I know what it's like to be in a context perhaps of a, of a small town in which the Presbyterian children grow up, go to college, move away, and there's not much new growth coming up behind that, um, at least in the, the stereotypical uh, socio-economic cultural setting of Southern Presbyterianism. Um, I, I came first to Monroe, uh, Louisiana Covenant Presbyterian Church, in 1987, which was my childhood church. I came to be at age 30, the pastor of my childhood church, which had suffered a great deal of conflict. So I, I've been through a situation of rebuilding and uh, some degree of revitalization after um, a really bloody conflict. After nine years, I went to uh, Rivermont Presbyterian Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, which was already a very vital church. I was called there as a co-pastor, a co-pastor to a wonderful pastor who had been there 22 years already, and he really put his arms around me and um, gave me his blessing, and uh, he retired three years after that, and th that that there's a segue and that's going somewhere with, with what's going on with me right now. But during that time when I was in Lynchburg, already a very vitalized church, um, uh, we left the PCUSA, went through a two year difficult um, dismissal process, um, you know, before the big wave hit. We were kind of on the tip of the spear in 2001 when we initiated it finally got through it in 2003, um, ended up buying the property at 30% of the appraised value. Um, and that was a multi-staff church. So I've served in a, as, as a senior pastor in a multi-staff church. And then after 14 years there, was uh, Covenant of Monroe came back into the EPC, or came into the EPC in 2010, and they called me to come back. At that point, it was a, uh, a, a former PCUSA church that had, was in steep decline, deep decline and really near death. And I thought when I came back, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll just be the one to bury the last member and turn out the lights. Uh, seriously, I didn't know, uh, but I was coming back home and my, my, my wife is from here and we're pretty deeply rooted and et cetera. And I just, I don't know, I just had a, a real love for this little church, but I had a vision for after 14 years in a very healthy church that I don't take any credit for, a, a vision for what a reformed and evangelical church could look like. And so I, I, um, I came back with the hope really of, uh, as it were, planting a church. I don't know anything about church planting. I'm not a church planner, but I use that language. And uh, I was blessed in that the, 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 the remains of the congregation, I mean, the, the, those who were still there and alive, um, you know, bought in, you know, they knew they were about to die. And I didn't do anything different. I didn't have any big program or anything like that. But through a series of remarkable providences, as I said at General Assembly, um, uh, 
the the Lord, I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but it was just a series of remarkable providences that the Lord brought the people to um, Covenant of Monroe, whom we needed. I mean, people were hungry for a, a um, for a, a, a reformed and evangelical and biblical congregation. Um, they came, there was a lot of uh, people coming out of the, the dying mainline churches, but um, you know, one interesting thing is a lot of women were involved in Bible study fellowship. I don't know if you know about BSF, but, and they were going to mainline churches and they were realizing, well, this ain't it. You know, what I'm learning in Bible study fellowship is not what I'm learning in my church. And so, you know, we had a lot of transfer growth. And, and I know sometimes transfer growth gets a bad rap. But in many cases, transfer growth can be, it can be um, serving God's people who are hungry, hungry for his word. And it can be, transfer growth can in some cases be conversion growth of people, you know, in Southern churchianity, because we're still there where I am. I mean, it's, it's changing and it's shifting, but we're still, you know, we're still a church culture down here. And, um, and so uh, when people begin to hear the word and, um, and be taught the word and they realize though, perhaps they've been in church all their lives. They've really never known what the gospel is. And we, we've experienced some of that. Um, so I've been here 10 years now and um, the, the Lord has blessed us. And I'm trying to figure out um, how, how I'm gonna retire since I've been associated with this congregation since I three, was three years old in one form or another. Buried both of my parents out of it, all that. Um, so uh, with the Presbytery's approval, Gulf South, uh, my former associate pastor, Jonathan Wagner, has been duly elected by the congregation and installed by the Presbyterian Commission as the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And I have been installed as the associate pastor. And so, uh, you know, it's a transition succession because I was very, very concerned that um, with, with my retirement over the next three or four years, that um, there wouldn't be a major disruption in the life of the church. So, you know, I see that as being a continuation of uh, the ministry that has been established because the church is really a brand new church in, in one sense. 80% of the membership has probably joined the church in the last eight years. And let me just say um, that, um, again, I mean, it, it's been a matter of remarkable providences and it's been a very ordinary means of grace uh, ministry. Um, I am an ordinary means of grace pastor. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a whiz bang. I, I don't know anything about. I, I don't know anything about anything, about organizational structure or how to do this or you know, anything. Um, I uh, my my ministry has always been focused on preaching and teaching and personal pastoral relationships, and I very much appreciate Bryn's opening comments about the theological foundation and our being um, committed to that. So I'm not an organizational wizard. I don't consider myself an entrepreneurial visionary or anything like that. I once heard it said that um, the really, pardon me, you know, cheesy, cheesy illustration maybe, but the really great football coaches like Steve Walsh or Belichick or probably Nick Saban, they don't, they don't worry about what the score is. Um, and I heard it said that Steve Walsh, when he was rebuilding in San Francisco, he didn't care whether they won or lost. He was building a culture and he knew it was going to take time. And, and, and so you, you get focused on the culture. You, 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 you know what the basics uh, of that culture you want to be and you work at it and you work at it and you work at it and you work, and you work system. And, and I think that that's a, could be a translatable analogy, at least it is uh, for me, to keep at it in um, keeping the main thing, the main thing in, in, in an ordinary means of grace ministry and knowing it's gonna, it's gonna take time of preaching and teaching and pastoral uh, relationships. And 
I know I'm out of time right here, but the, another another thing that I, I, I've learned is, is that we have to go with what we've got, not what we don't have. Um, I, um, I, 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 I came here in 2010 from a church in Lynchburg, Virginia, where, I mean, we had a stable of elders who could teach reformed theology, could teach Bible. They could do it, and they did it. And I came here to a dead PCUSA congregation. I didn't have anybody. But, and I often said to my wife, you know, gosh, I just wish I had, you know, this guy or that guy. But the Lord, event, the Lord provided, and, and I just say, you know, you, you go with that, with those one or two elders who will pray with you on a regular basis and, and pray for God then to bring, uh, you know, provide more of that. And so, you know, I really try to focus on what, you, what we got rather than what we don't got. And, and, um, and that applies to financial resources and, and everything else. And just trusting that the Lord is going to uh, provide for that. The other thing that, that's been touched on is how we define um, vitalization or, or vitality. And, uh, and I'm really, really, really thankful, really glad that today we, hadn't been re we haven't been talking only about numbers or budgets. Um, you know, it's true that um, the Lord added daily to their numbers and that, and that growth and numerical growth will be a, a, a part of that. But I'm really, really glad that what I've heard from people in my breakout group so far is about spiritual revitalization, a hunger and a thirst for growing in the word, growing in prayer, prayer praying together. And so, you know, when, you, when we look at the New Testament and we, we read the letters of Paul, um, the members devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's scripture, the fellowship, sharing life together, the breaking of bread and prayers, that's worship. You know, when that becomes the, the, uh, the heart of the life of our church, there's, there's, there's vitality. Um, members using their gifts, and you know, you, you know all the scripture verses, Romans uh, 12, 6, and following, and, and people loving one another, and um, uh, praying with one another, showing hospitality to one another. Those are the sort of things that, in terms of congregational vitality, you know, in a few, in, in, a, in, in a month or so, and we can be able to look at that. So just, a, I want everybody to be encouraged, um, and um, focus on those, those spiritual attributes of vitality and what you've got to, to work with and go with in the context of your local congregation, because you got, you got to believe that God's got you there for a reason. And, and um, what would be missing if you weren't there? What would be missing if your congregation weren't there? Because your congregation contributes to the body of Christ in your community. Mm. And, and, and that's, and, and, and I've kind of had to struggle with that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a classical reformed um, pastor and the, the church life um, reflects that and our worship reflects that, you know, and I know that there are churches that are maybe have more people on Sunday and they're growing and they're doing, you know, they got smoke machines and, you know, whatever else going well, and I, I'm, you know, my point in saying that is, yeah, but, but what if, what if we weren't here? What if, uh, e e even if we're, you know, we're a 200 member in attendance church, but, you know, we're not a 2000 member church, but what if we, what if we weren't here? What if there were not a classically confessional historic reformed congregation here? Well, the, the body of Christ would be diminished. Mm. So word of encouragement to everybody as we go into breakout. Sorry, I went over time. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully you're getting a sense of why I love these guys and working with this team. I mean, all three of them have such a passion that just exudes from them when they come out and such a vitality about themselves, which 
I know spills over into their churches and it's exciting. So we'll go into our final breakout. We'll come back in about 15 minutes. We'll cut this one a little bit short and then finish up in the last 10 minutes just with some next steps and kind of what you can expect for next time. But um, yeah, let's react to what John just shared in our breakout rooms. In the final 10 minutes that we've got, we wanted to offer just a couple of things. Number one, we wanted to make sure that you know, you guys heard what our heart is for you in terms of key takeaways. And then we wanted to give you a little bit of a preview for what we'll do next um, in our next session at the end of um, November. Um, we, um, you know, really our hope this first session was to let you get to know us a little bit, let you get to know a little bit of our context, some of the church stuff that we're dealing with, some of the things and experiences that we have had, as I said, pretty wide divergent backgrounds. Um, but yet there's these common threads that we've hit upon. And so, you know, you've heard some of that in the stories, um, in the stories that have been shared. Also wanted to hit on what Bryn did at the beginning, really talk about what is revitalization, because again, we use that term a lot. What does that actually mean? Do we have a theological definition for that? Or are we just sort of going to rely on the numbers or the practicalities or how much your attendance increases? And, you know, so anyway, that's not our thing. Um, you know, and I hope you've heard that today. Um, the biggest thing I guess we'd want you guys to walk away with is this sense of you're looking at, hopefully you're looking at who's on this call. You're seeing a screen populated with ruling elders and teaching elders from all across the country. Number one, we hope you know that you're not alone. Like what you're doing, slugging it out in your context, we're all doing, slugging it out in our context. And so part of uh, what can be really hard about church revitalization is sometimes we feel pretty isolated and pretty much like we're on our own. So you're not alone. And if you need um, or you would like to talk offline or in between sessions with any one of us, John, Mike, myself, Bryn, we can make sure that our emails get available to you all and sent out to you all. Brian can do that for us, I'm sure, from the General Assembly office. And if you need anything, you go ahead and give us a call. We're happy to talk with folks. I met with a session last evening. It was a wonderful, delightful conversation for about an hour just to encourage and, and bless. We wanna do that and help you guys along the way. So don't feel like you've gotta be the one who's now gotta go back to your session and sell this. Like we can help you with that. We can zoom in all of those things. You let us know. The other thing too, is we want you guys to see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it we don't know what that'll look like for each of you in your own context, but Really, each of us have discovered in our own context that, yeah, it looks a little different. Vitality looks a little different, but boy, it's there waiting for us if we will lean on Christ and we'll follow him and really trust in him uh, to take care of his church. It's, it's his church after all. It's not our church. It's his church. And uh, as I love what John said in his last session, it's, it's not only is it his church, but it's something that will outlast us. And I love what John's doing there, moving into the background, again, doing the John the Baptist thing, decreasing so that someone else can increase. And in that way, making sure that this work of revitalization continues long after John Mabry is, you know, worm food in the ground and, you know, waiting the resurrection. And, um, you know, and that's our, I know that's all of our hearts. Um, one, one piece of homework, maybe for next time, as you guys um, get ready to go back and, you know, think about what you've heard and all that kind of stuff. Let me just encourage you with this. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time next time talking about the spiritual vitality of the pastor or the ruling elder, if it's a key ruling elder that's on this call. Um, how, does the, how does the leader, whether it's a ruling elder or a teaching elder, maintain their spiritual vitality in the midst of everything that they're going through? With all the challenges we face, how do we maintain that connection to Christ? What does that look like? Um, each one of us has a little bit of a different way of doing it, but that is critical. Um, if you're going to do this work of revitalization successfully is the key leader has to be vital themselves. And so how do you maintain that? Um, I would just encourage you guys to reflect on that in your own life. Come next time ready to share. You've now experienced some of the breakout rooms. We'll see how many show up on the next call. We might have a few more facilitators available to break down the, the groups into smaller sizes if we can. Um, and in that way, um, we'll be able to facilitate some of these conversations more in depth. But but, but think about what it is that keeps you vital. What is it that keeps you connected to Jesus? What is it that helps you move through seasons of maybe discouragement or depression or despair when you're in the midst of, of this really hard work of helping a church revitalize and rediscover its heart for Jesus? And so just want to encourage you with that. Be thinking about that. And then finally, I'd just like to close us with a word of prayer and we'll send us out. And just know that uh, we're praying for you guys. Um, I'm going to get a list of who was on this call. I'll be praying for you guys by name. 
Um, and I'm sure the rest of our team will join me in that. And we just want to support you and encourage you along the way. We're all in this together. We're all fellow EPC pastors. And so we, we get it. We know the journey. So um, let's just be encouragements to one another uh, in this journey. Let me pray for us. Father, what a blessing to be together with our friends, men and women across this country and really even outside of this country, um, from places like the Bahamas and Puerto Rico and other places as well, God. We just are grateful for the work of the church. We're grateful, God, that is the church is really your instrument for this, that you're going to use for the salvation, uh, to bring the message of salvation to this world. And so, God, use us as you see fit. Um, be the head of the church. Um, uh, be high and lifted up in all of our fellowships and in all of our gatherings and in all of our worship, God. May you, may you be high and lifted up before each one of our faces as well, God, as we come before you day by day, seeking the inspiration that can only come through the Holy Spirit as we lead the communities that you have placed in our care, God, as under shepherds. God, may we be faithful to the task that you've set before us. May we be encouraged along the way as we dive into your word and are sustained by your spirit, God. May this fellowship time, this fellowship of the saints, God, nurture us along the way. And as we gather again in a month, God, I pray that there would be great fruit already that will be reported being born as, as individuals are revitalized, sessions are revitalized, churches revitalized. Um, all for the sake of your glory and your kingdom in this world, God. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. We pray a special thanks, God, and just measure a blessing on Brian Smith, who's helped us with the call today and the technology. What a blessing he is at the General Assembly office. So Lord, just give it, we give you praise for all that you're doing. We give you praise most of all for your son who makes all of this possible. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, friends. We will see you in a month. God bless you.